0: Hi, I'm Todd Harris, and thanks for joining us for another episode of Tending Bar. I'm excited today to introduce you to a friend of mine, a, a business leader named Jerry Simpson. Now, you, you already know that tending bar was conceived as a way to talk about the legal profession, the bar. And most of the time we will talk about uh, or talk with lawyers or lawmakers or maybe legal uh, academics. And we're going to be talking specifically about big issues in the law, but but the basic premise of Tending Bar is that there are purposes underlying the legal profession and um, deeper motivations for, for good lawyers to be lawyers. And those purposes are about the things that are the purposes of the law itself. They're there to protect people and they're to enable people, they're to safeguard communities and enable and empower people to, to accomplish great things. But good lawyers also know that Those purposes are not fully accomplished and never really can be fully accomplished by the law alone. Those purposes are served by a variety of people and a variety of institutions that help to build community and help to protect and enable and empower people. Some of those institutions are businesses that help to encourage and build community, and that's why we have our guest today. That's why we're going to talk to Jerry Simpson I first met Jerry uh, in London, actually, uh, the summer before last, the summer of 2018, at a large conference in London, England called InfoSecurity Europe. I was there with a delegation of companies from the Commonwealth of Virginia, there to show off Virginia companies to the world, companies that were involved in cybersecurity. And we, at that time, were newly combined, my law firm, with a UK law firm, and we wanted to show off our colleagues. In the UK, who are um, deep into cybersecurity legal matters. And there was Jerry. Jerry was uh, something of a rock star there as he was talking uh, to everyone who would listen about his great company, KiteWire. And we'll ask him to tell us a little bit about KiteWire today. But beyond his business, Jerry has an orientation towards business and toward the community that I want to share with you today. So thanks for joining us, and I, I'd like to introduce you now to, uh, to Jerry Simpson. Jerry, you're online.
1: Hey, how you doing? Yeah, thanks for having me today. It's a pleasure. I, I was just going to say I love the way that you just described the purpose of law. Just, you know, it's something that I think most people don't really understand that aren't in the legal profession, and, and I just really appreciated that description.
0: Well um we we describe it as the higher and better purposes or higher better spirit of the legal profession and um thanks for saying that. So we're talking to you today from sunny California. You're in LA now? That's right, Los Angeles. But uh but that LA is new to you. You are uh, still a Virginian, or will claim you.
1: Yeah, still a Virginian. Uh we came out to LA to expand business in August August 1st of 2019. Um, in a, in you know, a short period of time later, we were evacuated by a, a wildfire, and um, now we have COVID, and it's been an interesting uh, time away from home. COVID's worldwide, though, so it probably would have had everywhere.
0: Well, well thanks, thanks for being part of this today. So as you just heard me explaining to, to, uh, to our viewers, um, Kitewire is a special company that is in sort of information security, mobile information security. Can you tell us just a little bit about the company?
1: Yeah, sure. Kiwire started in uh, 2007. uh, So we're a 13-year-old company uh, named uh, both the the nation's fastest-running company, uh, one of the nation's fastest-growing companies five years in a row, Virginia's eighth-fastest-growing company. Um, We do mobile security, mobile device management for organizations that are niche, small boutique businesses all the way scaling up to the FBI. We protect all the mobile phones for the entire uh, FBI, a lot of other um, intelligence community work, which is perfect because, um, you know, when you're going to the Caterpillars of the world or the ConocoPhillips saying that you can do this, that, it, that your cybersecurity is good enough for the FBI, um, is certainly a check that their CIO wants to be able to put in to say, well, I'm not going to get fired for buying the same thing the
0: FBI did. I read an interesting uh, spotlight on you by Forbes magazine, and uh, it was a great article where it talked about um, KiteWire's future as next level. And I got that idea because it it uh, told a story of your way of motivating your own troops, where he talked about two islands. I wonder if you can share with us that story.
1: Yeah, sure. So, um, you know, we had we had a day in the company where I was um, uh, in front of a whiteboard and I could sense there was a bit of frustration um, in the business that we were in, which is primarily doing government services and, you know, making products for them. So government says, hey, we want a thing made and we say we can make it and they pay us to do it. And then they own the, the intellectual property and all those things. All the while allows us to kind of build muscle, test out talent and do those things at no risk, which is quite nice. Build connections, build network build communication. Um, and, you know, we had the decision that that. It really it was terrible to be left without intellectual property at the end of these things. And you really just don't have much. You're you're more or less become, and no disrespect to my colleagues who are in this business, but you in a, in, a, in essence become a staffing agency um, if you don't look at some of what those upsides might be. And so we decided to build a product. And I I made this analogy: I said, you know, we're over here on this island, and there's a lot of us, and there's not a lot of palm trees, and there's not a lot of bananas, and there's it's, you know, where the resources are bare, I'm going to get in a boat uh, with our CTO, and I'm going to start heading for an island, which I call the right island, very intentionally. Um, and over in the right island, I painted this picture, you know, there's not bananas, there's pina coladas, there's waterfalls and lagoons, you know, I have to put this image in their head and explain that there's way more resources per person over on this island, which is the product Island, but. Just offshore within range, I need you all to be throwing the bananas to the boat, to fill up the boat with bananas and metaphor, which is the profits that we're making off of the current business. And then when the boat is as full as we can get it, plus the people, you're going to swim because we're not going to be out of range. You're going to jump in the boat and we're going to set sail, leave this behind and chart a path towards the right island. And what I didn't know would be such an important part of this story was, I said, I drew on the whiteboard right here, which was just about 20% left to go to get to that island. I said, resources are going to be scarce. We're going to hate each other. We're going to be sunburned. We're going to see the island, but we're going to be in a bad place. We just got to keep hanging on till we get there. Because it will be in sight, it will be bearable and you know when we got to that moment in time people drew back to that story and said yeah i remember he said you know we'll we'll actually be really really lean at that time we'll be we'll have eaten all the resources we can hold on to on the boat and um uh you know we're just going to be fasting for those (laughs) last few days till we get there and then it's going to be a boom um and you know it's, it's interesting how that story lives in lore inside of our own company people never erased that whiteboard that whiteboard stayed uh with that on it people just kind of needed to anchor themselves to the visual of it and i'm not good at drawing so i can assure you it wasn't very um it wasn't my artwork um and we eventually just took it off
0: how important is it do you think um tightwire has been a great success and it's grown um quite a bit and uh, to, to your credit, how important do you think motivating your people is to achieving that success? How much of it is shared vision that gets you from, from one island to the next? I
1: think, um, you know, I always say why is people fuel. Um, and, you know, people need a why. They also need a destination. And it's amazing how many organizations are just driving. You know, they're driving in a direction, but they haven't really put down what their destination is, and they haven't really made a map that equals the destination, and they haven't really got the alignment in their own organization that they need to get there. Like, Why is it going to be good for all of us if we get to the place I want to go? And so, you know, to me, giving that vision, giving the reason for it, um, and creating the alignment, which is paramount, uh, to our success.
0: Mm-hmm. So, you know, if one were to um, check out your Twitter feed, they'd see a lot of that kind of commentary about business, about, um, you know, collaborative work together, but they'd see a lot of commentary here, here in April, uh, a lot of tweets about uh, being supportive of the network around you and of the people around you and not just within your own company. And that's really where I wanted to to hear from you today, was um, because I, I've heard you talk so eloquently, so passionately, many times before, about the importance of giving back, of the importance of businesses really um, being part of and uh, of a community and a contributor to the welfare of that community. If you will, just tell us about your philosophy and what your thoughts are on that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, building community is to me one of the most uh, important things that we can do. It's also one of the most fulfilling things that we can do. Uh, you know, when I look at people who are telling me they're down right now during the coronavirus situation, you know, I was just say do one small good act and for yourself, uh, do a small act. I, I posted recently on LinkedIn, you probably saw... Or, where I was saying, listen, if anyone's been laid off and uh, needs me to review a resume, I will. And that's partially for me uh, because I want to do something good. And it's also to just remind people that there's just little things all of us can do for each other, for people in our community that aren't, you know, just to kind of spin that, that cycle.
0: Uh, do you think that's always good for business or is it just the right thing to do? It doesn't matter whether it, it contributes to the bottom line.
1: I, I absolutely, you know, to me, my ability to do a good thing comes from the success that I've had in business. I know other people will leverage other uh, platforms to do something uh, good. The, the thing that I'm actually driven to do well at business because it gives me the platform to do good for the community. So I don't think about it as much as, Oh, this will be good for business. I think I must keep succeeding at business because when I do, it gives me stronger muscles to do something good for for local communities, for broad communities. Um, sometimes that's just people will listen to you. We live in a, in a world where people greatly value our business leaders disproportionately. So um, I think we can solve all problems, but you know, with that, Uh, comes the luxury of being being able to get those ears and motivate and talk them into things they might not otherwise um, be open to.
0: Yeah, that's great. We've had the good good fortune of being able to partner with you a little bit. I know that some of my colleagues in the firm have been involved with an organization called the Urban Alliance, and that's been something that you've been involved in. I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about uh, the Urban Alliance and, and your participation why why it matters to you
1: yeah urban alliance matters tremendously to me They're, you know one of the the handful of organizations that i work with that build community better than um anyone i've been involved with and i, I you know they do it with the youth they, they serve um I, i've always termed, but i agree that there's not a better there's often not a better way to communicate it which is to say underserved communities but it's young men and women in high school who um, are looking for internships, which is exposure to a professional setting that otherwise would not have it available. Meaning that they don't have an uncle or uh, a mother or somebody that's able to land them in these nice internships that many people um, have available to them, and um, you know perhaps the the they don't have the networks available to them, and. You know, when I was young, I, uh, through a lot of um, stubbornness and foolishness, found myself uh, w- without home and, um, and struggled quite a bit and figured my way out of that. And, you know, when I did and had some really great business successes in my early 20s, uh, people would say to me things like, you must feel like if you could make it from where you came from, anybody could make it. And I thought about that and said, no, I think I had so many resources available to me. And some of that was I know how to speak the language uh, of the people that I needed to bring on my side. Um, and I had that exposure from my parents from my time growing up. You know, it's it's um, I had internships in high school at a Navy customer that allowed me just to sit and listen and speak the language. I do some business with Chris Saka, who's considered one of the greatest venture capitalists of all time, and he very famously um, at Google uh, just abandoned the work he was supposed to do and and acted as Larry Page and Sergey's uh, note taker and said, yeah, I was happy to give them a copy of the notes I was taking, um, which I just found, you know, fascinating. But for him, it was having courtside seats to two of the biggest titans in the industry. Um, and learning from them. I mean, this is a guy that went to a league school, and he still understood what it was like to be in the arena and and pick it up firsthand. And to me, getting these young men and women in the arena and it having the exposure to the conversations that's going on, you just pick that stuff up, and it and it gives so much more tremendous opportunity.
0: So, so you were you were homeless as a teenager for a while, as as, I were, as you were saying. That's correct. That's correct. And um is is it do I understand correctly so you sort of taught yourself programming while while um you know living on the couch of in friends houses uh for a while and and really developed your own skills yourself taught uh even even before you started college
1: Yeah absolutely um you know I had what was on the internet as a resource to learn I could go to the to, my thinking process was I need to build something, what could I build? Well, I don't don't have any tools, any resources. What could I build that would be valuable that takes almost no tools? And the only thing I could think of was a web thing, a software thing, because you could build it at a public library if you had to, the resources were there. Um, you could then, if you could put, get a thousand bucks together, you can buy a compact Rosario and, um, and go fur, uh, and it just seemed like the best way to build from nothing.
0: So, so, so you started really early. By the time you were just barely into college, you'd already founded a company, and and before much longer had sold that company. Your success as an entrepreneur started early. W- where does that come from? What's what's the motivation there?
1: Um, you know, with to me, I've uh, I've always. Seemed to have an ability to understand what was needed, what people, I always say, when I was a programmer, I was a terrible programmer, but I knew very well what to program. I I seemed to have a good neck for figuring out where the gaps were uh, in the market. Um, At the time, what I made was... is just like Amazon. It was called mousemouse.com and I sold it to Amazon. And it was, well, how could you sell more things? I, I, I worked as a retail person in, in high school at a sunglass place, made commission. So, like a person goes to a place, has a transaction, gets commission. How could you amplify that out so that you don't need a person and you're getting commission on tons of things? And then somebody's just, you know, for whatever reason, I I picked up the phone and called Sony and all the other people and said, "Listen, you know, I understand that you probably want to be on the web. You're not. I know you'd love to tell your boss that you are, uh, and I can do it for you. I just need you to sign these legal agreements and sell your stuff on the web. Now you can tell your boss you did the thing. And understanding who can who." Do I need and how can I add value to them? And just always thinking through that process. And that's one of the things I really like to teach, even you know, to our interns, is really thinking through who is it that you need to help you, and be creative about how you can add value to them.
0: Do you see something of yourself in these interns, these kids who are, um, you know, uh, guided by the Urban Alliance? I do.
1: Um, you know, I see. I think I have a little bit of. School was my thing. Uh, still to this day, once in a while, I sign up for a class and I get into like, an online class. I get into it and go, what was I thinking? You're just not good at this format. Uh, you know, I can realize it's five minutes in. This is not your format. And you know that by, by this point. Um, some, of the, some of the students that I work with are excellent students. But they seem uh, frustrated that maybe some of their counterparts have a better path forward than they do. Um, and I'm it's it's exciting for me to explain to them that none of that is true. Uh, that they're very much in charge of their path forward um uh, if they take the initiative. But then there's students that they're mischievous, they're they don't appreciate uh what the school has to offer them like I didn't. Uh and I understand that most people want to look over them because they feel that way. And it gives me an opportunity to really look at their value on a different level and explain to them that there's a multitude of ways uh, to exist in the world that aren't necessarily by everyone else's playbook and have a, a thriving life. But you have to sit down and roll up your sleeves and figure it out.
0: And you have uh, you found success with these interns, as as I understand it. You have some of them working for you. Yeah, now. yeah.
1: Absolutely. Uh, so. We have a tremendous number of them working for us right now. One of ours, his name is Najib, and we started him when he was 17 years old, and I told him, as soon as your internship is over, you have a job here if you want it, and uh, we'll pay for your school, whatever you want to do. And the interesting thing was, he doesn't love school either, uh, and he doesn't mind me sharing this. I said, well, why do you want to go to school? I, I was getting at something specific. Well, his stakeholder was his mother and she wanted him to go to school and you have to please your stakeholders. It's an important concept in life. And so he wanted to work. He wanted to learn. He wanted to do, you know, at a much faster pace, but he was going to have to also go to school and his mother wanted him to focus on school. And because she was financing it, she got a lot of say in that. Well, I'm financing it now, which gave him the leverage to say he wasn't going to just focus on it, which taught him something about leverage. Um, and, you know, interesting to see how fast he started adding value at our company. And I regularly had to say to him, you have to sit and think about how you're going to add value, but sometimes you just have to ask, what would you need to do to get the thing that you want? And you'd be surprised how often people will tell you and how often they'll have it top of mind. And I've seen him do that endlessly. I've seen him teach that to the interns that he mentors, which is maybe the most fulfilling thing. Is to watch new interns come to the program, see one of our own in old interns mentor them now. Uh, but he's been one of the fasting, fastest rising stars at our company year over year over year, and he he's only twenty now. Um, he's a great example of what can be done, um, you know, when when applied the right way.
0: Well, Jerry, you're an inspiration. Um, I always love to hear how you're doing in business. And it's always, always exciting and good news. But uh, it's it's even more, um, more exciting to hear about the good things that you're doing in the community. I saw one of your tweets, I think just a week ago, someone had said, uh, more or less, the purpose of life is to uh, treat everyone kindly. And uh, you had retweeted that and um, amplified that with some comments of your own. And Um, I just wonder if you, if you would have uh, maybe some summary words about sort of what your goals are now as a business person and as a, as a leader in the community.
1: Yeah. I mean, one of the, um, one of the things that's really important uh, is to help, uh, do you know who Ryan Holiday is? He writes a series of books, um, a friend of mine and a great author. One of his books is The Ego Is Your Enemy. And The more I'm able to suppress my ego, the more fulfilling my life is, often more successful I am because I don't make decisions that are being guided by ego. One of the things that he says in that book, which stood out to me so well, is that he has an alarm, uh, an internal alarm that says whenever he feels superior or inferior, his ego is steering the ship, and he should know to correct course because those concepts don't Exist without your ego, um, and uh, you know when we see other people in the world, and we feel better than them, we feel greater than them, we feel um, that we should have more um, than them, or that we sh- that you know they're in a disposition because of laziness or whatever it is. I I, I feel like that's a very ego led view and in any event why not reach your hand out and work together um and you know as many people as i can get to operate out of you know to to move away from scarcity uh mindset is it seems like such a good valuable way to spend my time It, it often um, you know, I'm an entrepreneur. Entrepreneurs, they don't operate. They don't operate from a mindset of scarcity. They wouldn't have started a business if, if they were feeling that way. Sometimes down the road, things change in their mind. And I enjoy and take a lot of entertainment out of reminding them how they felt when they started that business and changed their mindset. And I just think it's a great, valuable way to spend my time.
0: Well, uh, Jerry, I'm glad to count you as a friend and uh, coincidentally as a likewise, client. Likewise. And, uh, um, you know, I look forward to, to continuing to hear great things out of you and out of KiteWire. And thanks for being part of the conversation today.
1: Absolutely. And I just, again, want to thank you for being a part of Urban Alliance.
0: And we'll continue to be so. Thanks, Jerry. So uh, thanks for joining us for attending Bar today. I hope, uh, as I do, you found Jerry's um, mindset and his orientation toward business to be uh, inspiring. Uh, Here at Tending Bar, we want to explore what those deeper motivations are for people who uh, see the bigger picture and who are interested in the common good, as Jerry so definitely is. And uh, let us draw some lessons from that. I hope that you'll join us next time. Thanks for being part of it today, and we'll see you soon.